Okay, so the first passage today is Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fee of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The next passage is Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and, and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all, the, let all who are simple come to my house. For those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live, walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added onto your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Let me pray to start off with, and then we'll jump into Proverbs. Father, thank you for this series in spiritual formation. We thank you for how we've grown um, throughout it. We pray that our growth won't stop with the end of this series, but will continue on afterwards. Help us to understand your wisdom in Proverbs and help us to be able to uh, glean wisdom from it for our lives and help us to walk in your ways. Amen. Okay, so we're at the end of our spiritual formation series, as I mentioned, and I hope it's been really interesting and encouraging. We've looked at different topics that we don't normally talk about and we've tried to pair it with communal disciplines as well. And most of the churches joined in with um, at least one communal discipline, which was really great to see, especially coming out of um, the period we've been coming out of. Um, and I think we've already started to see growth and fruit from it. So that's been really encouraging. And I hope that's been encouraging for you guys too. Uh, in our final sermon on spiritual formation, we're going to be thinking about the book of Proverbs and how wisdom comes out of Proverbs and how we might build a discipline around it if you're interested in that type of thing. So Proverbs is uh, a book that really gets overlooked a lot, I think. You don't get many sermons on Proverbs. You don't get many Bible studies on Proverbs. 
the main way I think that you encounter proverbs is as a verse a day type of thing. So maybe you get a proverb in your calendar or in your Bible app, it'll pop up and it's got like a really smart sounding verse. Um, and it kind of becomes a bit of a life hack for you. You read that verse and then you keep it in the back of your head as you go about the day and you try and live by the principle that it tells you. And I don't think that's wrong to do. And most of Proverbs is made up of what they call aphorisms, which are basically short, pithy sayings. And the Proverbs of Proverbs then really lend themselves to be picked out as this verse a day type of thing, like keep this verse in mind. So take uh, Proverbs. I'm going to be quoting a whole bunch of Proverbs and jumping around, but I'll read them out for you um, because I think they're really interesting, actually. So take Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. So you could ponder that one for a long time and never quite grasp it um, or take this bittersweet sort of proverb that speaks a simple truth but really powerful. Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So you can see why people verse-a-day proverbs. They use proverbs as a verse-a-day type of thing. They're just really good and there's clearly wisdom in them. But if that's all we do with proverbs, I think we miss out on what God promises us through proverbs. The first section that we read today was the intro to proverbs, and right in the middle of the intro there's these two verses, Proverbs 1-4. For giving prudence to those who are simple, and knowledge and discretion to the young. So in in the Old Testament, the simple and the young are kind of caricatures of uh, unwise or foolish people. And God says, if you're unwise, Proverbs is for giving you wisdom. But then even more than that in verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. So if you're already wise, Proverbs apparently makes you even wiser. So whoever you are, the wisest person in the world, the most foolish person in the world, this book is given by God to make you wiser. And we all want wisdom, right? Proverbs describes wisdom as this really complicated thing and you can't really put your finger on it. And the interesting thing is that it's not as narrow as you would think wisdom is. So if you look at those opening verses again and see all the words that it uses to describe wisdom. So it calls it wisdom, obviously, to start with, but then it's also discipline and it's also understanding and it's also knowledge and discretion and doing what's right and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all this knowledge. So wisdom is picked out as one word to describe this whole kind of cloud of words. So it's hard to define. Um, You can ask me in the Q&A to give it a go if you want. But for our sermon, whatever your assumption of wisdom is, it's probably right, but it's probably too narrow. It's knowledge, but it's also action. And it's an intellectual thing, but it's also a spiritual thing. So it's really broad. And the Bible kind of describes wisdom as the treasure of all treasures. It's the thing that you want to get at the cost of everything else. And I think it's right because with wisdom, all other things fall into place. 
So, of course, we want wisdom. Wisdom. Everyone wants wisdom. On days where you need to plan your future, of course, you want prudence, right? On days where you have to navigate tricky situations, of course, you want understanding. So no one doesn't want wisdom, especially when the stakes are high. And in no other book of the Bible does God promise to give you wisdom if you read it. So if we want wisdom and if Proverbs is God's promise to give us wisdom, then we want to read the book of Proverbs. But how can Proverbs possibly make us wise when it's this massive, all-encompassing idea? Especially because most of the book are these random aphorisms, these random pithy sayings. Maybe the first nine chapters, which is a father talking to a son, maybe that could make us wise because it's like the father passing on wisdom to the son. But the last 22 chapters is literally nonstop barrage of random sayings that are apparently somehow meant to give you wisdom. And it just seems like bad teaching practice. If my sermon were 30 minutes of random sayings to you, I would have a lot of anonymous criticisms, maybe, uh, anonymous maybe feedback on Padlet, right? If uh, your induction to your new job was your manager sitting you down for three hours and just giving you random sayings, you'd walk out without a clue of what you're meant to do. So we have this really strange dissonance in the Bible. We have very big promises, read this and you become wise, and then we have very bad teaching practices. So people in the past have um, tried to resolve this, and some of their answers have been to um, take Proverbs or take a, a proverb and meditate on it and then try and live by it and you put them into practice. So, for example, Proverbs 12, 27, it says, the lazy do not roast any meat, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. So obviously it's saying don't be lazy, work hard. That's wise, right? That's wisdom. And that's a good attitude to have, but it doesn't always work. The problem with it is that Proverbs don't always play out as true. We all know lazy people who get by just fine, right? Maybe you work with some lazy people who get by really well. And we all know hard workers who put in the effort, but they never become rich. And that's not really an anomaly. It happens pretty often. So it seems like this way of looking at Proverbs is a bit limited. Another way people approach Proverbs is to group a bunch of Proverbs on the same topic and then see what Proverbs say about that topic. And that's useful as well because you get a bit of a wide perspective on the topic and there's definitely nothing wrong with that. But the limitation is if you group, if, if Proverbs wanted to group the Proverbs by topic, it would have probably grouped it by topic. And then sometimes when you look at those Proverbs by topic, there's actually contradictions in the Proverbs. So take these two Proverbs, for example. Proverbs 26.4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will become just like him. And then the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. So what does Proverbs say about handling fools? It says, don't answer them and answer them. So I'm not really sure, right? How do you deal with that? So there's a limitation to that way of looking at Proverbs as well. So these two ways are good, but they're not, um, they're not all of the answer. 
A third way, which I think handles the quirks of Proverbs really well, is to think of it as a world created by the Proverbs for us to enter into. So this will get this will get a bit conceptual now. Um, so ask me questions in Q and A if if stuff doesn't make sense, but go with me for the next little while. In chapter one, the verse right after the section we read, or that Naomi read for us, begins: "Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There are garlands of grace to your head, and a chain to adorn for your neck." So the first nine chapters is a father speaking to a son who's seemingly about to embark on the journey of his adult. So he's he's kind of raised up as a son under the father, but now he's about to set off on his own. And the father, before he goes, he wants to entice him to follow wisdom. He tells him all the benefits of wisdom, protects you, leads you to good things. And he tells him all the all the pitfalls of folly. It's a path that leads you to destruction. And when we get to chapter 9, which we also read, at the end of the father's speech, he kind of personifies wisdom and folly as two women calling out to the son. It's lady wisdom, lady folly. And they both look really similar. They both call out from high points in the city. They both call passers-by to come eat and drink really good food. And it's super hard to tell them apart, except that one offers food that she made and that food leads to understanding. And the other one offers stolen water, which she says is sweet to drink. But that path leads to the grave. So it's hard to tell between wisdom and folly, which is interesting in itself. But the thing to pay attention to is that in these nine chapters, the son never says a word. We never know if the son actually listened to the father in the end. We don't know if he could tell the difference between wisdom and folly. We don't know who he was enticed by when he grew up. The father speaks, the son listens, but what does the son do? And so that's what I mean by Proverbs creates a world for us to enter. There's an unanswered call to action. So implicitly when we read it, it asks us what would we do? This father's telling us all these wise things. Step into the shoes of the son and see what you'd do. And that leads us to chapter 10, where all these aphorisms start. The father stops speaking, and then we get a whole bunch of random sayings. So if one to nine is the father preparing the son for life, and then the father disappears in chapter 10, I take that to be that the father steps out and the son now starts living his own life. And each of these aphorisms is another step in the son's life. And if we've stepped, if we've stepped into the shoes of the son and we've listened to the father's warnings, the implication for us is to find wisdom in every aphorism, to choose the wise path at every problem. And that idea of stepping into the son's shoes and then living out the proverbs explains why the proverbs are in a kind of random order. It reflects real life in that way. Like we don't deal with all our finances at one point in our life and then all our friendship issues in another. They come mixed together and they come unexpectedly. But the Proverbs aren't an exact mirror or an exact reflection of life. They're kind of life but in a really low-resolution picture. And what I mean by that is 
each step of our real life is really granular. There's not often a decision that's overwhelmingly right, overwhelmingly wrong. Most decisions that you make are just slightly better than another option. This job is just slightly better than the next one, or that school is just slightly worse than this one. And so the discerning wisdom in real life is actually really hard because life is a lot more granular than Proverbs is. Proverbs always gives us a black and white choice. This is right and this is wrong. It presents the idea that way, I think, because basically it's saying every choice in your life you can boil down to as either a wise choice or an unwise choice, no matter how complicated or granular. You just have to learn to see it. So take the very first aphorism in chapter 10. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. So it's very black and white. If you're wise, you bring joy to your parents. If you're foolish, you bring them grief. And so as a son or daughter, do wise things and you bring joy to your family. But as the son keeps going on in his journey, some of the Proverbs become a bit more complicated. Proverbs 23.31. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. So it's a Proverbs warning about living a life of drunkenness. It's saying something like drinking wine when it's most appealing to you, when it's deepest red in colour or when it's most comforting will lead you to the grave. It's less straightforward than the earlier ones, but still it's basically saying in every choice, this time when it comes to drinking and drunkenness, is a choice between a wise action and a foolish action. The fool becomes addicted to wine and implicitly the wise know when not to have wine. And so the son's life keeps progressing uh, along this path of like more and more complication, just like our real life, until it culminates in two possible endpoints. And that's represented by two figures at the end of Proverbs. So Proverbs 30, we see the first one, the sayings of Agul. This, this is maybe my favorite part of Proverbs, actually. And people read it in really different ways. But in this framework that I'm giving you, I think the way to understand it is that the outcome of the son's life, if he were to ignore the words of his father, would be the life of a ghoul, the guy in chapter 30. He begins, surely I'm only a brute. I'm not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained knowledge of the Holy One. But if you read his Proverbs that follow, there's actually a lot of wisdom in his Proverbs. And I reckon some of these are some of the most insightful Proverbs in the book and uh, the most fun to read, I think. But they all have this dour tone. He's always gloomy. It's like he's wise, but he's carried so much regret in getting this wisdom. So he's lived a life where he's ignored the father's words. He's chosen folly a bit too often. And so in the end of his life, he's, he's come about some real wisdom, but he's come about it in the hardest way possible. 
And so now he warns everyone that's going to listen to him, future sons, to not live the life that he's lived. Don't do all these foolish things that I did. Walk the wiser path. Listen to the father. And then in chapter 31, there's the other possible ending for the son in Proverbs, the sayings of King King Lemuel, which are basically the opposite of Agul. It seems like he's had this easy life, King Lemuel, by listening to the father's call to wisdom. And in the end, he finds the perfect wife of noble character, who's the personification of Lady Wisdom from earlier. So you can walk the hard path and find wisdom, or you can walk the simple path, listen to the father, and find wisdom and find the wife of noble character, metaphorically. So that's the idea of Proverbs as a created world. So by entering into the shoes of the son, we have the option to choose wisdom as the son lives through a lifetime of Proverbs. But we already said not all Proverbs are true all of the time. Some of them even contradict each other. So the question is how does uh, wisdom in Proverbs, in the world of Proverbs, help us with wisdom in the real world? We might be good at finding the wisdom in Proverbs, but does that help us at all when when we're in need of wisdom in our work or in our family or in our relationships? I think how that helps is, and what happens is, by choosing wisdom at every option in the world of Proverbs, we train ourselves to listen to the Father's words, to desire wisdom innately, and to, by habit, choose wisdom. And so when we leave the world of Proverbs and we return to the real world, we actually return to the real, to the real world changed. So now we innately desire the wise choice in any situation. We're always looking for what's wiser by default. That's become built into us after spending a lot of time in Proverbs. So even though we've left the low-resolution world of Proverbs where everything's black and white and we've entered the highly granular world of the real world where everything is just like a fraction of a difference, we're still basically wired to find wisdom. And basically we learn to look for the or hear out for the words of wisdom in the real world. And that idea of listening to the words of wisdom takes an even deeper meaning when we get to the New Testament. Towards the end of Matthew 7, which you would have read recently if you are part of the Bible reading communal disciplines, Jesus says something that I think is a bit shocking. He says, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. To some of those people, he'll say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so often we want to believe or think that if we believe Jesus is God, we get to enter heaven. But Jesus says in Matthew 7 that your belief has to be shown through more than just your mouth. You can say these words, but that is not true belief. He goes on to say, therefore, the one who hears his words and does them is the wise man, the one who built his house on a rock and his house will stand on the last day. The one who hears, so they both hear, 
but the one who hears, maybe even believes, but does not do, is the fool. He builds his house on the sand, and on the last day it will come down with a great crash. So there's two important things to pay attention to in that. One, the words of Jesus are actually the words of wisdom. He's kind of the reality of lady wisdom that we met in Proverbs. The one who calls out and tells you to follow my path is actually Jesus. The one whose path, if you follow, leads to good things is actually Jesus. And two, wisdom is not just a matter of uh, reaching or attaining a good life, but now it's a matter of salvation. It's by wisdom and doing the works of wisdom that you find God and that you're saved on the last day. So at the start, we might have wanted wisdom because we have tricky situations that we want to figure out. But really, Jesus tells us living in a life of wisdom is what leads you to the ultimate treasure, which is our salvation and being with God. So how do you do it? How do you learn to listen to Proverbs and the wisdom in it and kind of make yourself wise? Um, I'm actually a bit behind in time, so we won't go through a full explanation of how Proverbs as a spiritual discipline might look, but you can ask me in Q&A and I'll expand on it a bit if people are interested. Um, but the one-minute summary is that it's good to take uh, a verse a day of Proverbs and understand it, meditate on it, try and live it out. It's good to grab a group of Proverbs and try and understand what it says about it. So those things are good. But a way that lets you um, transform into a doer of wisdom, someone who really is wise, I think is to take each proverb and spend time understanding the wise and foolish path in each proverb. Sometimes it will be spelt out and sometimes you have to do the work to find the, the implied foolish path or the implied wise path and then use your imagination to connect the world of proverbs to your own world when it talks about mothers and fathers imagine your own mother and father what would bring your mother and father joy what would bring them grief Uh, when it talks about money think about your own finances and see how wisdom plays out in that way and practice finding wisdom in this world created by Proverbs and practice following that path in the world created by Proverbs. And then in time, you'll be habituated to seek out wisdom in the real world because that's just what you do. You just look for wisdom and you do it. And there's a lot of parallel into your own life. And the end result of that is hopefully that you'll hear Jesus' words and it'll lead you down down a good path and you'll want to do those words. And most importantly, you'll want to heed every instruction that it gives you. So I'll wrap up there. If there's questions, because that was a bit conceptual, um, ask me in Q&A. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we um, ask that you would make us truly wise not just people that hear wise words um, and even acknowledge wise words, but people that actually do wise words. Help us to be discerning in really tough situations, but above all, help us to be listeners and doers of Jesus' word. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, it's time for Q&A, and I would like to invite John back up. All right, let's let's dig into the questions. First one, what is the context of these proverbs? When were they written? Um, yeah, un, unknown exactly when they were written. So they're attributed mostly to Solomon. So if we take that... Um, if we take that as a literal attribution, as in Solomon wrote them, not like they're in the style of Solomon or something, um, then that would be uh, in the the United Kingdom era, which is like, yeah, is it like a thousand BC, something like that? Mm. Um, what's really interesting though is some of these proverbs um, they're not uh, they're not purely Jewish, right? There's a section of these proverbs. I think it's around. Proverbs 22 to 26, maybe somewhere around there, um, that are basically direct copies of um, uh, the writings of Amenemapi. So I, mean, I had trouble. I had trouble saying February before. This, I think it's Amenemapi. <laughs> There's lots of M's and N's and E's. You can Google it. You'll find the word. It's hard to say. Um, but basically, they're like it's like an Egyptian writing, and it's like literally the same. It's like word for word taken out of that writing and put into the Bible, and uh, so that brings some really interesting questions about how to understand uh, God's word and His kind of common grace. Like He tells like other people things that are true and wise, even um, such that those works would make it into His word. Um, at the end, so that's so that's the context. It's kind of like uh, a mixed context where people in that time would write this type of literature. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's another big debate in the Book of Proverbs. Um, do so. Um, it's like, how do you understand Proverbs? Is it a book basically of secular wisdom, as in these are just true things um, about how to live regardless of uh, what you believe, or are these kind of theological truths? Um, I would lean to more that these are theological truths that are um, that are secularly wise. So I'm trying to have a, like a foot in both camps. Uh, but basically... Uh, I think the Ten Commandments are commandments on the way to live, uh, but these are words from God, so they're theological. Um, but they're on how to behave in a general sense. These are general truths in the world that uh, God gives us to walk in a way of wisdom. So it's not literally every proverb do that literally, but it's um, these things are wise and you should look out for how to walk down this path as much as possible versus if you don't do this, you need to sacrifice or something to because uh, you've made a sin. Yeah, the Proverbs 31 woman is interesting. Um, so often people um, take it as a picture of just the perfect wife, basically. Um and it is like these are like all very good values, and you'd be lucky to find them um, in a wife. Um, how I think it works in the book of Proverbs is that um, at the start of Proverbs, 
you have mixed metaphors. You have the, the son setting off on a journey of maturity, like physical maturity, where he leaves his father's kind of protection and he enters the world on his own. And then you have the son um, entering this journey of trying to find wisdom, and they're a bit mixed. And the father mixes it because he turns woman wisdom into a woman, right? It's like like, like you, uh, like a young man would be attracted to a woman, he's saying be attracted to wisdom in this way. And so there's like parallel journeys for the son, both growing in physical maturity and in wisdom. And so when you get to the end of Proverbs, you get Proverbs 31, which is this perfect woman who's also like the personification of wisdom. So the father's saying like, if you follow my path and heed wisdom along the, this um, trajectory of your life, in the end, not only do you get wisdom, you get the perfect life. So it's, I think it, it's a description of both things um, because the metaphors are mixed throughout. Uh, so you can take probably one as the description of a perfect wife and you can take it as the personification of wisdom. Can you elaborate on why the Yeah. Um, the fear of, so that's, yeah, Proverbs 1 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Yeah. Um, I think this is, um, this is maybe a description of the Israelite or the Old Testament, maybe like theory of knowledge. How do, how do the Israelites, the Old Testament people of God understand anything? They say to understand anything and therefore to be wise, you have to understand it all, um, as subject to God. If you try and understand like a tree on its own, you can get so far and understand that tree, but without understanding that that tree is created by God and put there for that time and that place, then you don't really understand anything. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or is the beginning of knowledge, is um, trying to get across this idea that um, to truly be wise, you have to start from the basics and that that's God is God and you should be fearing God. Once you get that in place, then you can lock everything else in and then you understand how the world works if you understand how God is God. So that's the, I think that's the rough idea. Um, is it possible to both over-index the context of the I think no. What what I was trying to get at at the end of um, the sermon, where I was talking about how Jesus is now, Jesus now has the words of wisdom, and Jesus is the personification of Lady Wisdom, is that basically to be wise is to follow the words of Jesus, and there's really no extent that we can over follow the words of Jesus. So I think I think you can't be obsessed enough with it. I think all of us are not obsessed enough with it. Um, but, but you could become obsessed with kind of worldly wisdom as in making like good choices and like, what's the best choice? And you can be a bit obsessed with that, but not too obsessed with basically hearing and doing Jesus work. Um, at least in the context of Proverbs, they're female because the son's male. 
So it's the father teaching the son to go along a particular path. And he's saying like, be attracted to, um, uh, you know, young son, right? Be attracted to wisdom. Like you're attracted to women, right? As much as you desire to find the perfect woman, be attracted to wisdom in that way. That's the metaphor. Um, why is wisdom always, I don't know if wisdom elsewhere in the Bible is personified as a woman. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure if that's actually true. Uh, but actually like the real personification of wisdom is Jesus who's male. So, um, I think the, the Proverbs kind of picture of wisdom is just because it's a son. And so the, the obvious attraction is to a woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Females, uh, Alex said females tend to mature faster than males. Uh, that's probably true. And, and boys tend to make dumber choices. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe maybe the females are fine, and like, but but just to clarify, um, yeah, we're all meant to step in the shoes of the sun. So male and female are meant to step in the shoes of the sun and pursue wisdom like a young boy would pursue a woman. Yeah. 